Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. time ago, uh, just as a very, very young married man, when I looked into the eyes of older couples and I saw even though time and circumstance had silvered their hair, wrinkled their brow, it had not taken the glitter out of their eyes for one another. And as a young man, I can long before I figured out what it was to be a husband and a father and all those things, I just remember admiring that quality and thinking, whatever that is, I want that. And I don't ever want to lose that. And, uh, and so in like fashion, I will say as a young man, when I would see elders that were still encouraged in the Lord after all they had been through, because life has a way of just kind of pummeling us all, but you see them just come back to church again and again and again. I, I see so often uh, our elders as like Sister O'Neill when long, long ago she wasn't able to continue to come to church in all honesty. But you see that side door open and you see them come in and I think whatever that is, I want that. I don't ever want to lose that. I don't ever want to lose that. Amen. And if you're young and well-bodied and able-bodied today, amen, you need to think about that. You need to think about that. Amen. Because if you don't have it now, there's not going to be some mystical experience that will give you that when you've got aches and pains and you've got a hundred excuses. Amen. So I want to make sure that everything is out of the way. I don't want nothing. I'm, this is not my message. I know you're standing. But... Uh, when you read about the cities of refuge in the Bible, and as Israel began to grow, they would add cities of refuge, and that's a wonderful thing, and, and if you have never read this, it's a great study. But one, one of the things that has so always intrigued me about the, the cities of refuge is that there are people whose sole responsibility every day was to make sure that there were no obstructions in the road on the way to the city of refuge. Because if somebody was going to the city of refuge, they were going there because they had accidentally murdered someone or caused harm. And so before man could just pass judgment and serve as judge and juror, the Lord said, I'm gonna give you a house of refuge so that you can go to until this can all be settled. But we gotta make sure that there's no limbs across the road or if the bridge is out, it's gotta be repaired. And so I said all that to say this today, you need to make sure that whatever the path is, to the house of God that nothing obstructs you from getting to the house of God. Whatever it is, if it's a limb, move it out of the way. If it's a broken down bridge, repair it. If it's an ox in the ditch and it keeps getting in the ditch, shoot it. <laughs> Amen. Because I promise you, all you have to do to get regular at missing church is just start missing church. 
And then next time it'll be easier and easier and easier and easier. Now let's come together and make the house of God something that is a priority in our lives. The book of Romans 14 and 13. We're gonna continue with our study today on the bait of Satan, the spirit of offense, and pray that the Lord will just help us today as we make this journey. The book of Romans 14 and 13. And I'm gonna just maybe fire a warning shot this morning. But uh, as we move along here today, we're gonna kind of get right down where we all live. And so I want you to make the whole journey with me. Don't just ride part way to town. <laughs> Let's make the journey together. Can we do that? Amen. Keep an open mind and open heart and let the spirit touch us. Romans 14 and 13, let us not therefore judge one another anymore. Must means must mean they had been judging one another. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Yes. And so we can pooch out our chest and fold our arrogant arms and say, well, they ought to get over it. Or we can let the Bible help us understand that I bear some responsibility. I can't just do whatever I want to do because what I am doing is going to affect possibly somebody else and I don't want to cause them to stumble or fall away. Amen. So um, again, you know, we've heard people say when someone falls away, you know, people say, well, I saw that coming six months ago, you know, you know, and all this kind of stuff. If we saw that coming six months ago, I hope that means for the last six months we were diligently working to a, avoid that. And you can't avoid it all, I understand that. But we, you can't fix something after, after it's dead. Amen, we need the Lord to touch us. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord. We've just, in the last couple of weeks, I did the last session in two parts, and so we were talking about how Jesus offended many people as he traveled and ministered and how he, uh, somewhere in the wake of what was said or done, many times left people offended and he left them offended without apology. It wasn't because he was rude and obnoxious, but because he was standing for truth. Today, I wanna look at the other side of that because I don't wanna paint nor portray Jesus as just someone that had such a barbed um, personality that, that uh, he had a bad attitude. I, I do want to show another side of this in Scripture and how that he was, went to great lengths uh, not to offend on other occasions. And so when it comes to truth or what the Word of God says, then we, we have to declare that. And if you're a parent here today, you understand this, that every decision, you're going to make a lot of decisions as a parent that are going to uh, really put you in great favor with your children. They're going to, they're just going to light up when, when you say, well, you know, we're going to, we're going to go to McDonald's today or we're going to, we're going to do this and you're just, going to, you're just going to be nominated for dad and mom of the year. But then there are some decisions that you make that are going to uh, cause them to want to move out. And it could be because you're not going to McDonald's and it could be, <laughs> it could be something just that trivial. 
And uh, so you, we have to make decisions along the way. And so when, when we're talking about the word of God, uh, certainly I want, to, I want to keep a firm footing and, and uh, not a heavy hand, so to speak. But when it comes to the word of God, there's a mandate upon this pulpit. I don't want anyone to stand behind this desk and uh, just, just water something down, sweeten something up just so that we can uh, make it palatable. We need the word of God to touch our heart. Preach the truth. The scripture says in love, but preach the truth. That's what we need. You don't want a doctor <clears throat> that won't tell you the truth. Amen. You sure don't want to stand in a court of law with, a, with an attorney that's more interested in being your pal than your representative. You don't want somebody patting you on the head, all is well, all is well, all is well, when he knows you're fixing to get flushed down the system. You need somebody to be honest. And so, dear God, help us not to have pulpits in America that just have somebody feeling them to just say what we want to hear. We need to hear the truth. And so we look at some scripture today. We're going to be uh, looking at Matthew chapter 17. Jesus and his disciples had just returned in this passage to Capernaum, and they had completed um, missionary or ministry missions and, and they had come for just a short stop, rest perhaps. But if there was any place perhaps in scripture that would be considered as a base for the ministry of Jesus, it would no doubt be Capernaum. But while he was there, again, Jesus being who he is, always uses opportunities to convey to his disciples who he is, what he is all about. They're not just traveling on some missionary journey, signs, miracles, and wonders for the sake of signs, miracles, and wonders, but he is always doing something to reveal uh, another dimension of himself to again, again uh, reveal why he is here and his purpose. And so while they were there, the official in charge of collecting the temple tax approached Simon Peter. And this is where we pick up our reading in Matthew 17, 24. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, doth not your master pay tribute? Or doth not your master pay taxes? So now listen to the answer that follows found in uh, verses 25, 6, and 7. In Matthew 25, 17, 25, this is Simon Peter's response. He saith, yes, yes he does pay tribute or pay tax. And when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him saying, what thinkest thou, Simon? So he poses him a question. And I, I understand that many times, and especially in the King James jargon, we kind of lose sometimes the message if we're reading too rapidly. So I want to just kind of break this down. He said unto Simon, he said, what thinkest thou, Simon? And so he poses a scenario. He says, of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Whom do the kings of the earth take custom? Where is this tax or this tribute drawn from? He said, of their own children. Is it drawn of their own children or is it drawn of strangers? Verse 26, Peter said unto him, the obvious answer of strangers. Jesus said unto him, then are the children free. So he was making a point that if a man is the king, 
and it is the king that draws the tax, then do they extract the tax where? Do they extract the tax from the children of the king or from the stranger of the king? And Simon said, of course, that it would come from the stranger. That means that the children could eat free or live free or dress free. The children do not pay tax in this situation or tribute, the Bible refers to it as. They are the ones who enjoy the benefits of the tax. They live in the palace that the taxes are paid to maintain. The children eat at the king's table. They wear royal apparel. All of this provided by the taxes or the tribute that is paid by the stranger. But who is the king or who is the owner of this temple or in whose honor is this temple built? The answer, of course, for us today is God. The, the temple is built for him. And so at this very moment, Jesus is trying to convey something into the mind, the heart, and the spirit of Simon. He's just received a revelation of something, and that revelation is that Jesus the Christ is the son of the living God. So as the son of God just stands to reason that as a child, he wouldn't have to pay tribute or pay taxes because he is the son. Amen. <laughs> so obviously he's going to be exempt. He would be totally justified in not paying the tax. So I want you to keep your mind in this illustration literally, but also beyond this in the spiritual connotation of this. Yet watch what he says to Simon Peter in verse 27. He says, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, we're gonna pay the tax. I am the son of God. I shouldn't have to pay the tax. Amen, you, are you walking with me with, down this divide, spiritual and natural? And so he said, so here's the plan. He said, I want you to go thou to the sea, cast and hook not a net. Most of the time when you're talking about the fishers, certainly of this era, the Bible's talking about telling them to cast their nets and they cast their nets or they were mending their nets. But watch specifically that Jesus says, I want you to go cast a hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take and give unto them for me and thee. <clears throat> in other words, there's gonna be enough in the mouth of this fish to pay the tribute for both of us. So he said, in order for us not to offend them in this literal, natural setting, they're not understanding, we're gonna pay this tribute. But it was another confirmation of a freedom or a liberty that was really belonged to him that he was not going to take advantage of. If I've heard one question posed to me through the years, if I've heard this one question posed one time, I have heard it a hundred or more times. When people are asking, do you think this is a heaven or a hell issue? Because that seems to be, that seems to occupy quite a bit of our time. We're gonna try to figure out whether or not this is a heaven or hell issue and that is not to abolish the, 
the, the fact that we do need to discuss sometimes what are heaven and hell issues. But oftentimes we're just trying to find a nail to hang something on. And so we don't know if it's a heaven or hell issue. And so what, what we are looking at is the liberties that we have, the freedoms that we have, but how we need to use those freedoms and how we need to use those liberties. And so when he was, he had the liberty to not pay the tax. But he said, I'm not gonna use this liberty because it may cause an offense to someone there. They were in a literal setting and they didn't understand that he was the son of God, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so rather than risking offense, I'm not gonna use my liberty to offend them, but we're gonna go and pay the tax. So he instructed him to go fish, take the fish that first comes up. This is where you're gonna find the money. And I think there's a couple of things that's interesting about this particular mention and I want to bring this to your attention today. It's a, for one thing, I think a great paradox because we find here the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, and he is walking down the road without enough money in his pocket to pay the tax, which is a minuscule amount, according to history, at just approximately a half shekel. And and most anybody of that day would have at least that much money on them, but here's the king that was too poor to pay his tribute. First, or Second Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul said he became poor that we might be made rich. <laughs> and so there are, there's a few things about some characteristics that I think that are just worth, worthy of noting and not gonna spend a lot of time here, but this is the only miracle in the Bible where Jesus performed that Jesus performed to meet his own needs. Most of the time, any other illustration we have of Jesus performing a miracle, it was to meet the needs of someone else. Another interesting thing is that Matthew is the only writer that records this particular miracle even though this miracle has a lot to do with the kingship of Christ. Amen, just one mention of that. Jesus proved his kingship by performing a rather, in the eyes of humanity, a rather complicated miracle because if we're gonna just walk this in a logical way through our train of thought, a coin had to first be lost at sea and then a fish had to take up that coin in his mouth and then that particular fish that took up the coin had to also bite the single hook that Simon Peter was commissioned to put into the water. And so uh, if that proves nothing else, it proves that Jesus had dominion over the fish of the sea. Amen. And he said that we have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and et cetera, et cetera. It is the only miracle that, in, that uses money. The tax was a reminder of the Jews' redemption from Egypt's slavery, slavery and they were redeemed by the blood of the lamb according to Exodus chapter 12, not by corruptible things such as silver and gold, but this, this silver shekel or half shekel was a token of redemption. It, it was going to pay the price to feel the need at that moment. The last thing I find interesting about this is that it was just another miracle that was performed especially for Simon Peter. Peter was able to enjoy several miracles and miraculous moments that others did not experience. It was Peter that said, Lord, if it be you, bid me come walk into you on the water. And he said, come. 
And so Simon Peter was the only one that ever walked on water. And then when he saw the wind and the waves and began to sink, the Lord reached out and saved his life miraculously. And then he gave him great catches of fish. And now we find him one more time saying, Simon, I want to show you something. I want, I want to just show you something. And so I, I, I think it's interesting how the Lord brought about this money or this coin for them to even pay their taxes. We know that Jesus is the Lord of the earth and he didn't have to work for that money nor did he have to pay that because he was the, the son in the aforementioned passage of scriptures when he was asking him about the sonship. Yet he still chose to pay the tax not to offend. He had the liberty not to do that but rather than offend. And so remember, this is the same Jesus that we saw in our last study that was offending and making no apologies about that. But again, that was over issues of, of truth and, and, and uh, propagating the gospel. So he proved to Peter that he was exempt from the temple tax, but he said, lest we offend them, we're gonna go ahead and do that. And so it, it may seem like that these are uh, maybe some inconsistencies in the teaching, but let's just keep reading. In the book of Matthew chapter 18 and verse number four, verse number one through four, excuse me. Matthew 18 and one, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and, and said, verily I say unto you, except ye, have, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so here is the key. Here is the key. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself. The, the way up is down. The way in is out. The ways of God do not measure to the ways of man. And so I, I have said many times about the miracle of the wedding of Cana of Galilee, the miracle of the water to wine. That miracle was not performed for the bride and the groom of the family of the bride or the groom, the families of the bride or the groom. That miracle was performed and those that really, really were impacted by that, those that really were able to see that up close and personal were who? The servants. Those that drew the water, those that poured it into the pot, those that drew out the wine and served it to the governor. They are the ones, the servant. And so I say built on that, that if you keep a servant spirit, it's the servant spirit that will make available to us the power of God, the miraculous power of God. There is no, no job too minuscule. There is no, there is no task of, of less value in the kingdom of God. I wanna say, Lord, help me to realize the powerful truth of this, that whosoever shall humble himself as this little child. A little later, Jesus amplified this in Matthew 20 and 26 through 28. He said, but it shall not be so among you, but, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Amen. If I were the psalmist David right now, I would say Selah. 
<laughs> we need to let that marinate. We need to pause here for just a moment. He said, if you want to be great, then you let him be the servant. A son of man didn't come to be ministered unto, but he came to minister to and to give his life a ransom for many. What a powerful, powerful statement. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. He was the son of God. He was free, owed no man anything, subject to no man, yet he chose to use his liberty and freedom to serve, to serve. Amen. I, I want to shift gears here for just a moment because I want to talk about something that I feel like will perhaps get down right where we live. Amen. I need you to stay with me now. <clears throat> we have been liberated by the spirit and the power of God to serve, not liberated to be served. There is no room in the kingdom of God for the spirit of arrogance. And I am broken in my heart, in my spirit, when I see such rampant, flagrant arrogance among the church. Now, I'm not gonna talk about the Methodists today because we're not Methodists. I'm not gonna talk about the Baptists today because we're not Baptists, and that's unfair. But I'm gonna talk about Pentecostals because we are Pentecostal. And this is where I've spent my entire life. And I am gonna tell you that some of the most pompous people I have ever met in the, in the world have been people that professed to have the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And you've got to almost body slam them in a restaurant to get them to even look at you and grin. That's wrong. That is wrong. You've got to hem them up and shame them Something is bad askew. We are no one. And I'm gonna tell you some of the greatest people I've ever met, some of the men and women of the kingdom of God that have made huge differences, that have left footprints in the sand, quite frankly, that we'll never live long enough to feel. I've had the privilege, I say this humbly and not boastfully, I've had the privilege to meet some of my heroes. And, and one of the things that I have always one consistent thing I have found about all of those people is that they are servants, servants, servants. Amen. Someone that you think ought to be being waited on is the one waiting on others. People that you think ought to be high maintenance are not high maintenance at all. And then you've got these prima donnas that are running around. Wanting to be something. Thinking everybody owes them something. Amen, I thank you for every, every kind word. I thank you for every, every gesture. But I, I wanna realize that I have been liberated to serve, not liberated to be served. Amen. <clears throat> I ask you up front to make the journey with me now. The book of Galatians 5 and 13, the Bible says, for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Another word for liberty here is the word privilege. For brethren, you have been called unto privilege or called unto liberty. Only, here's a caution, a word of warning, only use not liberty 
for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Men, you, you know why? Uh, many, many times uh, people find themselves in trouble is because they felt like they had the right to do it. They had the right to say it, had the right to do this or do that. But he said, you need to realize that you've been called into liberty. However, don't use your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Amen. But by love, serve one another. And so we're not to use our liberty or our privilege as children of God to serve ourselves or to tilt the table where everything comes our way. Our liberty is to be used to serve others. There's a freedom in serving, but I understand people get uh, caught up between the, the, the word serving and the word slavery. <laughs> There's a freedom in serving, but there is a bondage to slavery. Slavery is not what we're talking about. We're talking about servanthood. A slave is one who has to serve, but a servant is one who lives to serve. Amen. And so let's look at some of the differences between the attitude of a slave and a servant. A slave has to, but a servant gets to. A slave does the minimum requirement, but a servant reaches for maximum potential. A slave goes just one mile, but a servant goes the extra mile. That's why Jesus said, if a man compel thee to go with him one mile, Go with him twain. The law said if, if uh, a Roman guard came by your farm and caught you just standing out in your garden and he was carrying all kind of stuff that the law would allow him to say, I want you to carry all of my luggage, to put it in more contemporary language, and you've got to carry it for me. And so it was not uncustom for uh, those people that to, to from their home, whatever paths, or ever how many paths led from their house to go out one mile and put a mark because the law says I've got to go one mile. And so he comes by and says, I want you to carry my gun, my, not a gun. <laughs> I want you to carry my, <laughs> I looked at you, Brother Raylan, just threw me right off. <laughs> I was right there in that stride just going, everything was just right. I'm gonna ask, ask you to move now. Uh, carry his shield or his sword or whatever. <laughs> and uh, so they went out one, <laughs> let's come back to church now. <laughs> so they would go out one mile and they would mark one mile because when they got to one mile, they could set it down and go home without any ramifications of the law. But Jesus comes along and he says, if a man compels you to go with him one mile, go with him twain. You, you just keep walking. It's not about the two miles. It's not about the second mile, but it's just, you just go with him. You just keep on going because why? We are called to be servants. We are called to serve. A slave feels robbed, but a servant gives. A slave feels bound, but a servant feels free. A slave fights for his rights, but a servant lays down his, his rights. I, I've said all of that on purpose because through the years, I, I've watched people serve in the church. I'm not just talking about this church because, uh, again, I, I've been involved in other things, and I, but I've watched people serve in the kingdom, but they serve with resentment. I'll do it, 
And I'll promise you at best, with that attitude, you're gonna get a minimum. Maybe a minimum. Because they are serving with a resentful spirit. And I think that that's why we've always tried to operate this church based on the gifts and the ministries of different people. And so wherever people are gifted, that's where we want to plug them in. Because if you don't, if you take somebody that, that is gifted in one area and you just try to push them into another area, they may serve, but they may serve with resentment. Amen. Because most people will, will do what you would ask them to do. And, and we don't want to just fill spots, vacant spots with warm bodies. <laughs> you know, I'm glad Brother Boyette enjoys playing the piano. I'm glad he enjoys doing that. And, and you can tell that he enjoys doing that because of how it just all flows together. But if he didn't enjoy that, wow, that'd be a trial, wouldn't it? That would just be tough. Well, I'm here. And you had to deal with that attitude. Amen. That would be a horrible thing. And so I don't want to serve with resentment or, or, or serve grudgingly. Amen. And so I, I don't want to just do this because I'm trying to comply, because I'm trying to meet somebody else's expectations, but I, I, want, to, I want to do this because it's the right thing to do. Amen. So I, I, I don't want to, if we go back, in other words, to stay in harmony with the text that we read just a moment ago, uh, Instead of complaining about the tax or the tribute that was due, Jesus just paid it. But some people, they pay it, they just complain about paying it. They pay the price. They still live as slaves to the law from which they have been set free. They've got a slave mentality. <laughs> Amen. And it's most alarming that this law is constructed from New Testament scriptures because they do not have the spirit of which Jesus is giving these commandments. And that's what I say all the time, that, that you don't just need to hear the message, we need to hear the spirit of the message. Amen. And so sometimes people just get the letter of the law and they, don't, they miss the spirit of the message. And that's kind of like the guy that read the statistic about most people getting killed a half mile from their home and he moved. <laughs> he, got, <laughs> he got the message, but he missed the spirit of the message. Amen. And so we've got to, We've got to understand the spirit of the message and get the powerful truths. And so uh, they don't realize that, that we've been liberated to serve. So they continue to fight for their own behalf or the fight for their own benefit rather than the benefit of others. And so Paul gives a vivid example of confronting this attitude in his letters both to Romans, uh, to the Rome and Corinth. And uh, I, I know we're kind of leaping here into another train of thought, but I just want to use this scripture so that we can find a common thread here. In these passages of Scripture, Paul is dealing with those that are, that are uh, these New Testament believers that were at liberty to eat what they wanted to eat, but they're still somewhat bound in their mind, their, their thinking, to the Old Testament law of what could be partaken of. And so Paul begins to exhort them in Romans 14 and 1, he says, him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, 
Another who is weak eateth herbs or eateth only herbs. Paul said that there were some believers that were weak in their faith and they, they still could not eat meat for fear that they were going to be eating meat or eating food that had been sacrificed to idols, which was an Old Testament law. And so now they're in the New Testament. They've been set free. They've been liberated. But in their mind, they still can't bring themselves to partake of the meat. So the Bible says they eat herbs. Paul referred to them as weak in the spirit or weak in the faith. And I don't think he was saying that you're talking about one group that's saved and one group that's lost. But he is talking about there are some that are, that are weak. And he said, he that is weak in the faith, receive ye. Receive them. But not with doubtful disputations. Or don't... don't don't do it with the wrong spirit or, one, or with the wrong attitude. So though Jesus has spoken to the issue, there, there were still people that could not eat meat with a clear conscience. Jesus had already dealt with that, and I'm trying for the sake of time not to get into all of that just as an illustration. The book of 1 Corinthians 8 and 4, the Bible says, As concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. Okay? So Paul is to the Corinthian church. All, they're kind of caught up in the law of yesterday. And, all, and so he said, wait a minute. Do you believe in idols? Oh, no, we don't believe in idols. We've been set free from idols. Then why won't you eat meat? Because we don't want to eat anything that's been sacrificed to an idol. He goes, all right, there's no such thing as an idol. We already know there's just one God. So you gotta get that out of your mind. You gotta get that out of your system, all right? Skipping down to verse seven, I think some of our Sunday school is gonna be joining us shortly, but please stay with me because I'm at the heart of the matter, okay? First Corinthians eight and six, the Bible says, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom all are all things, and we in him and one Lord Jesus Christ by whom are all things and we by him. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. There are people that are coming to the knowledge. There are people that are walking to that knowledge for some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. He wasn't lambasting these people. He wasn't saying, you know, we need to call them out of the camp. He said, receive these people. They, they're, they're, they're thinking is still over here, but you gotta receive them. Amen. So just like in the church today, in any church, there are those that have stronger faith. Amen. I'm not talking about greater revelation, more spiritual, more powerful mightier and holier than thou, I don't mean that. But there are people that have greater understanding. And so in, in the church, like today in that church, there were some with stronger faith that was eating meats that in the minds of some had a questionable origin. And so in front of these weaker saints, they were somewhat taken by people that were eating meat. This caused a problem even though Jesus had purified the food. So the weaker ones could not shake the image 
of that meat being offered to idols and so they were seeing someone in the New Testament church eat that and it just caused a great conflict in their mind. And so the stronger saints knew that an idol was nothing. They heard what Paul had to say about that and they felt no prick in their conscience whatsoever as they ate. But watch how Paul is dealing with and Jesus is dealing with the attitudes of this. It appears that they were more concerned with holding on to their rights as New Testament believers than they were in offending their brethren. Without realizing it, they had placed a stumbling block in the path of weaker people. So they they got it. They got the revelation, so to speak. They saw it's all right to eat meat, but you're in the company of people that don't understand that. And so when you've got grease up in your eyebrows and saying, pass the mustard, he's saying, you need to think. Think about what you're doing. You're, you're causing an offense. You're causing people that haven't, they don't know. They don't understand. And so I am speaking, you know, only one time in scripture was spiritual people ever mentioned. That's right. Paul said to the Galatian church, ye which are spiritual. And so the only time spiritual people were ever singled out was for one purpose, and that purpose was restoration. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Here you go. Considering thine own self, lest thou also be tempted. (laughs) Amen. And so I'm reaching for some spiritual people today. But before you jump up on the back of the pew in front of you and crow, hang on a minute. Because spiritual people have a huge responsibility. Spiritual people are not those that walk around the church saying everybody ought to be like me. The spiritual people are those that are saying, you know what, I need to do everything within my power to lead another generation to the safety and the security of the revelation of who Jesus is. Amen, so we gotta look at this attitude, the attitude. So look at how Paul addressed them. In Romans 14 and 13, let us not therefore judge one another Anymore, that was my opening text, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Romans, the same chapter, go to 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Again, hear the warning that's given to us in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. Amen. And so for the sake of clarification, I'm gonna... I'm gonna do something I don't ordinarily do, but for the sake of clarification, I'm gonna read this passage to you from the English Standard Version, and and I just want you to follow me here so that we can understand this a little bit better. 1 Corinthians 8 and 8. We're gonna read down through verse 13. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours, this privilege, this liberty of yours, can you eat meat? Yes, you can eat meat. 
But he said, but be careful or take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge of eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. (laughs) The brother for whom Christ died. So before you start all this, well, they ought to just grow up and get over it. You better realize that he put some responsibility on some older siblings. You better be careful because if you cause somebody to stumble or to fall away, that blood is gonna have to be accounted for somewhere. Now, whether or not the preacher's jumping up and down and running on the building and crowing from the top of the ceiling, your preacher's preaching to you today. This attitude, I can do whatever I wanna do. I can go wherever I wanna go. I can say whatever I wanna say. I can watch what I wanna watch, read what I wanna read. I've been set free, I've been liberated. You better watch out with your liberty. You better be careful because it's not about you, sir. It's not about you, ma'am. It's about a weaker vessel. It's about somebody that say, I, I, I don't know. It's about stumbling. It's about faltering. It's about failing. Amen. You need to be very, very, very careful. Amen. I, I, I'm gonna, I feel, just hold that scripture, but I feel to insert something here and this may cross a few uh, swords theologically, but that, that'll be all right. <clears throat> but several years, you know, there's always been a debate in the church, um, among many churches, not just the apostolic church, but about when it comes to communion, about whether wine or grape juice, wine or grape juice, and, and a lot of people have just had a heyday with that. And so I want you to be grown enough for me not to offend you because you see there's only one side of the fence to be on or the other. And so I'm about to make favor with one group and about just to get on the outs with another group. And why I did this to myself this morning, I don't know. But a few years ago, I was dealing with a situation and I heard a man say something. Because up to this point, I had always served wine in communion. But I heard a man say something through a very tearful and emotional, heartfelt testimony. A man who had been delivered from horrid alcoholism. And I'm not suggesting there's anything less than horrid. And we weren't talking about communion. We weren't talking about anything. He was just talking about where the Lord delivered him. And he said, I made this covenant before the Lord that I would never let alcohol touch my lips again and something in my heart went off and I thought and for those of you who were here many years ago I taught several weeks on this because I didn't want to just change something without an explanation of that 
And the Bible talks about the fruit of the vine, and we can argue. I promise you, there have been people that have lived their whole lives arguing about this, and they're no closer to resolve when they died. <laughs> I heard about a group of preachers one time that went off. On, they were going to a conference, and they were all several riding together, caravanning in a van, and uh, somebody else was in a few more that couldn't fit in the van. Uh, they were riding in a car behind, another vehicle behind. And so as they traveled on down the interstate, several hours into their journey, the car pulls up beside the, <coughs> the car pulls up beside the van and they had taken a piece of paper and held it up to the window and, and whatever they had written, either they wrote wine or they wrote grape juice. So they knew if that many preachers were together that long, they was gonna be arguing about wine or grape juice. So they, <laughs> they, wanted, they wanted to go ahead and just get their argument right out there. They, we think it's wine or whatever it was. So my, I thought this, and I, 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 at this point, up to right now, I can't testify about this afternoon, but up to right now, I'm the pastor of this church. <laughs> and so I will have to give an account to God. But my thinking was this. If we served wine, and the enemy used that against this man, That bothered me. And so since we don't really know, and the Bible does say the fruit of the vine, for the sake of not offending someone, a weaker saint. So now, you know, we could have just said, I'm serve wine, let them catch up. They just need to grow up. And I'm not at all saying that we can take every doctrine of the church and put it on wheels and just move it around. I'm just trying to use an illustration here. And so that was a position that we took many years ago and, and I will stand by that and I will live and or die by that. And so he said we gotta be very, very careful that we don't challenge the heart of weaker vessels here. Everybody all right now and with me? So it says, so verse number 11, where were we? Verse number 11, so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother, the brother for whom Christ died. This is our brother we're talking about. So I've got to be very, very careful. Verse number 12, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak and in doing this, here's where you better really be careful. Now you've sinned against Christ. So before you just say, well, they just need to get over, they just need to grow up, and they just need to blah, 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 blah. He said, you need to realize that when you just go ahead and use your liberty, because bless God, you've got the liberty, and you cause somebody to stumble, now you've sinned against Christ. I told you we we're gonna get right down where we live because we don't like this train of thought. We wanna just live our own, we want our own address, we want everything ours, we don't want nobody to be connected, associated, I wanna do whatever I wanna do and I want everything to come out in the wash. It doesn't work that way. We are in the kingdom of God. So here in verse number 13, therefore, now listen, Paul said, therefore if food He's talking about meat. If meat offends my brother, I will not eat meat. Amen, I will never again, let me find this real quick in 1 Corinthians 8 and 13 and read it to you in a version that you're more familiar with, 8 and 13. 
Paul said, wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth. He didn't say, I'll just stop eating meat till he grows up. And then I'm gonna call him every other Monday to say, how you doing? <laughs> how you coming along there? I'm ready to go to the roadhouse. How's everything? I got a gift certificate here. I'm just wanting to burn it. How's everything hanging? No, 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 no. He said, if this is the deal, I won't eat as long as the world stands. That means nothing to me. If you think eating meat is the deal, no, you're being saved. You're coming to the knowledge of Jesus. You're, you're being the bride of Christ. That means more to me than some liberty. Paul already knew he had the liberty to do this. He said, is, and there, there's no such thing as an idol. So there was only one God. And so Paul, instead of trying to come back and preach this message one more time, shaking his finger, I've already told you there's no idols. I've already said there's one God. Paul said, okay. If eating meat offends my brother, done. Next item. Wow. We're on such a low road, the temperature has changed. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Roman church, summed up the heart of God in this manner. Romans 14 and 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Let us follow after peace and edification. Let's lift up. Let's build up. Let's strengthen. Let's give all we can. Let's do all we can. And so we gotta make it our aim and not to cause another person to stumble or because of some personal liberty that we have because what we do may be permissible even according to scripture. So now we're gonna come back full circle to where are these heaven or hell issues. And, and, and if the Lord will help us, I may just show this message at some point that Brother Woodward preached at our men's conference because it's a message that applies to far more than just men because whether or not we should be asking if something is right or whether something is wrong, we need to ask ourselves, is it worthy? <laughs> is, is this really important? Is this really in my best interest? Amen. And so I, the, the Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians 10 and 23, and so here I'm, I'm really coming in for a landing here and, and this is not my final scripture, but this is the, the scripture that I am wanting to give us today for not just another scripture, but I want this scripture to be a tool. Everybody say tool. tool. I'm gonna be more specific. Everybody say filter. filter. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm not so crazy to think just because you said that you got it. <laughs> but I want us to think filter. This, 1 Corinthians 10, 23, should be the filter through which our thoughts travel. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. 
All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. I'm going to tell you something. No matter where you attend church, no matter who is your pastor, no matter what point on the globe you spend the rest of your life, the chances are great that you're going to get to heaven and find out that one little burr under your saddle was not a heaven or hell issue. Amen. But I doubt very seriously you're going to go try to look me up or anybody else. Because he said some things are lawful. They're not expedient. They're not wise. And so we need to change our train of thought from is it right or is it wrong to is it wise? Is it wise? Where will this lead me? Where will this lead my children? And where will this lead their children? I, I, I am attempting to close, but I need an illustration. If Chris and Tim will help me here. It's not, not going to be uh, headlocks or nothing like that. Just <laughs> I, I get nervous when people from preachers want illustrations. I'm going to use this green line here as my life. This is where one generation is going to walk. But the generation behind me is not going to walk on that line. They're going to walk over there. That's where they're going to start their journey anyway. Because we've all questioned mom and daddy and grandpa. And amen. And then the real danger is that the next generation is walking over here. So to everybody that wants to do whatever you want to do, walk away over here, you need to figure out where the generations behind you are going to be. Because I'll promise you, I promise you, they're going to take it further than you did. Amen. So I'll tell you who's riding over here in this lane. That's the cats that got the bumper sticker, I'm spending my grandchildren's inheritance. That's who's in this lane. That's right. Now you do whatever you want to do with your money, but there's a mindset to that. Because the Bible says that we need to set an inheritance for our children's children. So don't just live for you and don't just live for the next generation. You need to live for your children's children. Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it heaven? Is it hell? I'm asking you, is it wise? Is it wise? I'll promise you somewhere to every parent in this house, somewhere between here and the time you get, the trumpet sounds, not just when you get your children grown, you're gonna need the church. You're gonna need people in the church. Amen. You know what? You may not need, you may not ever need the gossipers. You may not ever need the critics. You may not ever need uh, the hypocrites. You may not, but you know what? You're gonna need some prayer warriors. You're gonna need some Sunday school teachers that'll touch their life. You're gonna need some youth workers that'll touch their life. Why? Because we're all walking in this journey. 
We're all walking together. And the more we walk, you're gonna have Sunday school teachers that mold them and teach them and help them. And what they're leading them to is that line. That's where they're leading them to. Amen. So you better make sure their heroes are not Madonna. You need to make sure their heroes are not ball players. You need to make sure their heroes are not rock and roll and country music artists. They need some heroes of the faith. They need some Anthony Mangans in their life. They need some Paul Mooney's in their life. They need some C. Patton Williams in their life. Yes, they do. They need some Vesta Mangans in their life. I'll get it closer to home. Amen. They need some Merle Newbins in their life. They need some Donna Tummins in their life. They need some Jerry Herndons in their life. They need some Barbara Welches in their life. Oh, are you hearing me? Are you hearing me today? Dear God, don't wait till they get 18. Don't wait until their life runs ashore. I say, dear Lord, help me today. I'm not worried about right. I'm not worried about wrong. I'm worried about wise. I want to know what's in the best interest of me and my family and their future. (coughs) Amen, amen. Everything's lawful, but that might not be the smartest thing to do. I can talk to my wife any way I want to. You know why? Because I'm 21. And I have a voice. So I can say, woman, get in here. She's probably coming. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not saying she's obeying. I'm just saying she's on her way. And her eyebrows are gonna be wrapped around her ears. I said, you lost your mind? Lawful, not expedient. Lawful, but not wise. Yeah, I'm out of T-shirts. So uh, come here, I'll show you where the washing machine is. <laughs> I'm, I'm out of socks. So we'll go to J.C. Penney's. <laughs> Lawful, but not wise. Amen. I haven't tried to just lighten the mood to ballyhoo us. I'm trying to tell you that there are some things that are lawful, but they're not wise. It is not wise. It is not wise. I want to invest everything I can. I want to put everything I can. And I'm going to allow the Lord to let this scripture funnel. I want to funnel everything in my life through this. Now, I realize what I'm about to say is a bold statement, and I want you to get the spirit of the message. The spirit of the message. Because I'm not trying to invite microscopes into our lives. But Sister Boyd and I, as the pastoral team of this church, do our best to be a living example. Not, we're not perfect by no means, and I'm not, I'm not saying that so that we can get a bunch of hand claps and, because we're not perfect. We've got faults that we're aware of. We've got faults we're not aware of. We've got faults that you're not aware of, but we've got faults that you're aware of. But if it would bother you to see us doing something, 
Why are you doing it? If it would bug you to see me somewhere, what are you doing there? Amen. I think there's a message. I know I'm really preaching long. I, I, don't, I don't mean this, but I, I believe there's a message when Jacob cut the streaks in those, in those poplar branches. Amen. I'm not here to say I've got the whole 100% answer to that. But I believe that what is set before people is going to influence their lives. And it will influence, if you know the story I'm referring to, it will influence what they give birth to. And so, lest you think I'm trying to make this all about Steve and Jackie this morning, that I'm telling you that your children are watching you and your neighbors are watching you and your friends are watching you. Amen. Amen. Dear God, I feel the spirit of prayer in this house. Jesus, touch us today. I need you to touch my mind. Join me in prayer, church. Join me in prayer. Jesus, touch my mind. I need to know when to shut up, Lord. I need to know when to speak up. Jesus, 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 touch me today. Anoint my mind, anoint my mind, anoint my mind. Anoint my mind, anoint my mind. Anoint my mind, anoint my mind. Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Brother Rayleigh, you spent a lot of years as a block mason. Have you ever wanted to quit? Brother Jerry, I know you, I know you love farming. I know you do. You just, it showed. But have you ever wanted to quit? Just get so disgusted, you just want to quit farming. Well, I, I feel like I could probably go through this house and get the same answer because we're all human. And so I want, to, I want to say something, but I want you to take this out of context. But I remember many, many years ago now, I was so discouraged with just everything. And I felt like Moses just asking the Lord, you just, can I get out of this deal? I'll just make the best saint. I'll sit on the front row. I'll come early. <laughs> I'll mow the grass, I'll do whatever. I don't want you to lose confidence in me. But I, I just can't get away from this in my spirit, so I'm, I'm gonna obey it. I didn't wanna backslide. I didn't wanna quit going to church. I had just had all the preaching stuff I could handle. And I love doing what I do. But it was just where I was. And I remember calling, I, the Lord just laid an a, a elder mentor of mine on my heart and I remember calling him and <clears throat> I just poured my heart out to him. I was crying and bawling and squalling. And <laughs> instead of getting some huge theological reason why, I want you to come here, Justin. I'm on the phone. I'm. I, I, I'm in. The, I may have been still in this office here, but nevertheless, an office here. And just. I just wanted out. And I made my case. 
And Brother Corwin, when I got through talking, I knew a rebuttal was coming. But I didn't know <laughs> what he was fixing to say. When I got... When I got through making my case, he said, Brother Boyd, I've been right where you are. And he said, but here's why you don't need to stop. He said, how old is your son? And I told him how old Justin was at the time, and he said, you don't ever want to try to sit down and explain to him while yesterday your daddy was a preacher but today he's not and a fog cleared out of my head so you just keep preaching because you had a son no but God knew what I was going to have to hear to pull the fog out of my head. And I thought, you know, that's just one conversation I don't ever want to have. And I'm glad I never had to tell you that until today. And so when Wednesday came, I just walked back to the pulpit and I preached my way through that fog. You see, what the Lord is saying, it may be lawful for you to quit. I think God understands. I think God understood what Moses was going through. I think God understood Elijah, Brother Rayleigh. I really think he got it. But he said it might not be expedient. You may make this shift, but he may not. And then one day that 10 head of children they have. I'm, I'm maybe even feeling 12 right now because I'm really anointed. Really anointed. <laughs> With something he said. <laughs> this is a God but not the God. He's going to have to try to explain about Grandpa. I'm telling you today, you, you can be see. I'm telling you today that we have got to rid ourselves of personal motives and agendas and, and the freedoms and the liberty. And so I'll tell you that, yes, it, you may have some liberty, but you better be very, very, very careful with that because it may come with a much higher price than you ever anticipated. It's called the law of unintended consequences. I've watched mom and dad get so burnt out until they just stepped out. The tragedy is if their life falls apart, they know how to step back in. But they didn't raise children that knew how to do that. And when their lives fell apart, they had no connection to a church or no connection to God. I'm preaching in the Holy Ghost today. 
If you think I'm throwing rocks, you have grossly misunderstood me this morning. Amen. I'll say this and I, I promise you I am closing. We cannot just keep asserting our own rights because it's my right to do it. I've got to think about what is this going to do to somebody else. Amen. That was one of the guidelines of the ministry that Paul wrote. And so he said this, and I close, last scripture. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Amen. I can't stop everybody from leaving. I, I can't fix every ill. And you know what? I've been blamed. The church has been blamed. You've been blamed. Some of you by name have been blamed. Whether that's true or not, only eternity can sort that out. But I just want to make sure that if somebody's not in the right line on judgment day, they can't point at me and say, that's the culprit right there. I want to make sure I may have some rights, some liberties, privileges. But Jesus said, I may not owe this tax, but we're going to pay it. I'm going to do this because it's the right thing. Amen. Let's stand together. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.